did you um, continue to refine your style or pick up any, you know, licks and things as you were playing with some of these guys? Well, you have to keep uh, you have to keep learning and trying to add more stuff to your playing. You know, I mean. I mean, you always keep adding to it. I mean, I think uh, I'm a much better player than I was in those years, honestly. You know, I might have had a little bit more speed and flash, but I, I think I'm much better music. My playing's much better from a musical standpoint now. Uh, but you know, I mean, if you're going to be a musician, you have to you have to keep adding to your repertoire and you have to keep learning. And uh, you know. so uh, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, you know, I I I, I, I used to when I was 21, I used to practice that Bartok and Tchaikovsky violin concertos, the violin parts for guitar, you know, and I would, I would, I would you know, go to the library and get, uh, you know, different kinds of 20th century violin music and pieces, you know, to try to learn more and more as I could, you know, Hindemith and, and uh, Shostakovich, all different kinds of things. And, uh, you know, and I try to apply that stuff little by little in my, in my guitar playing. Um, you know, in in the recent years, you know, I've written a book. I've written two books actually of, of stuff. Uh, they're they're two uh, method books, not for not just for guitar, but for all instruments. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're called the Serious Jazz Practice Book and the Serious Jazz Harmonic Approach. And uh, they've got tons and tons of stuff. And a lot of it is stuff that I, you know, sort of picked up from, uh, you know, the classical studies and this and that. You know, but it's 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 a, you know, they're pretty much the the most uh, complete books of method for jazz improvisation that are out there that I've seen. What, what inspired you to do that? You just felt that there was a, 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 a cap out there? Or? Yeah, because, you know, well, there's this book called the Slanimsky uh, Thesaurus of Scales and Patterns. It was famous because Coltrane used to practice out of it. And uh, it's got some stuff, but a lot of the stuff is for piano. It's in 10 octaves. I heard he wrote it partly as a joke. <clears throat> there's some stuff that's usable, but my stuff is all usable for jazz players. It's like, you know, it's like 200 some pages of just um, scales and melodic patterns, and then then they can be transposed into all different keys. Everything's in C in the book, or just in one in one key. Uh, and there's like 50 pages of diminished stuff. You know, another 40 pages of just chromatic stuff. So it's just a great. You know, you can open it to any any page and just and just say, "Well, I haven't practiced that today." You know, and uh, there's just tons of stuff there. You know, so. I tell students, I say, you know, if you practice out of these books for 20 years or so, you could get pretty good. <laughs> What's your uh, main weapon of choice as far as guitar? Uh, I've got uh, two Yamahas uh, that are there uh, called the, uh, the uh, Image Custom. It's a it's been out of it's been out of print for uh, since the early 90s. So I think it's the best electric guitar they made, and uh, it's got sort of the best parts of a Les Paul and a Strat. It looks kind of like a Paul Reed Smith, but yeah, you know, it's got lights in the fretboard, so you can see where you can see where to put your fingers when you're really drunk or it's dark. You know, and uh, it's a great guitar. I used to have two of those, and I have a. I just recently got a an Eastman uh, 1080 uh, CE. I think it's called it. Uh, it's a it's a really nice jazz guitar. Just one pickup. I hadn't played a really woody jazz guitar for a long time, and I do most of my practicing on this here Yamaha. You know, just a just a CPX 15 acoustic. You know, it's got heavier strings, so when I play the electric, it's easier. You know. That, is is this correct? Did you also play with Billy Cobham at some point? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did a tour in 1980. Uh, the Flight Time record. That was a it was a live record. It was with Don Grolnick on piano and Tim Landers on bass. And I'm still in touch with Billy on Facebook. I see him around now and then, you know. 
I wish he'd use me on his gig, but he's been using this guy, Fareed Hawk, who's from Chicago. He's a good player. Yeah, so is there any drummer faster than him? Faster? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know because I don't care. You know, honestly, we recorded this tune of mine on, on that record, Flight Time. It's called Jackhammer. Uh, it's kind of a shuffle. And it was funny because it's my tune, but Billy played it so fast I could hardly play it, honestly. Yeah. It's supposed to be, but it was like, damn, yeah. But uh, you know, I don't like to play that fast. I think I, I, I'm one of those guys that, that feels like that the faster you have to play, the less creative you can be, because because the faster the tempo is, the more you have to rely on stuff that's already locked onto your fingers. You don't have time to think or or take a chance or you know or. Um, you know, you don't have time to do that split second of time it takes to think and do something creative rather than do something that's reflexive. You know what I mean? You're just, you're just reactive. You know, you're reacting to the tempo. You have to play something fast. So you end up just playing the, the stuff that's under your fingers. And that's, that's not as satisfying to me as having that just extra little bit of time, you know, to, to think of something good to play or interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, the speed is um, entertaining for like a solo, but I mean... <clears throat> I'm a groove guy, you know, so you don't get the good grooves with the super speed. You know, I mean, I, I mean, Alan Holdsworth, for example, I mean, you know, technically one of the supreme guitar players of all time, but, you know, every time he would play, um, he would like, he goes to the same place, you know, he might play a little bit of lyrical stuff, but, that, but, but within... 15, 20 seconds of his, any, any one of his solos, he's already going, you know, and it's just like, I'm sorry, it's just not, that doesn't, that doesn't do it for me, you know, I mean, I love, love George Benson, you know, he's one of the, he's one of the best at playing really fast, I think, you know, but of course he doesn't really do it that much because you know, he's got all his gigs, he's singing all the time, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's good to have speed, but you don't want to showcase it all the time, you know? Do you feel like uh, he wasted his gift a little bit during the late 70s and 80s? Wasted it making millions and millions of dollars? No. <laughs> well. And he's a great singer, too, you know? He is. He is. But I really missed the guitar for a lot of that time. One time I was playing at 7th Avenue South, the Records Club, you know, in New York, and George was sitting in the front row. And I'm like, oh, God, okay. And I tried, you know. And then, uh, and you know, I tried to just like, you know, just look up, look at the ceiling, you know. But I, I, I actually did play my ass off that night. And, uh, and afterwards, he said, "Man, just keep playing guitar like that, and you'll have nothing to worry about." Boy, was he wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, still, still nice though. But he, he was always really nice. In fact, I met him when I was, uh, I was uh, eighteen or seventeen. Yeah, it was nineteen seventy one. Yeah, I was. I was I was at eight. I was eighteen, or no, I was nine. I just turned nineteen, nineteen seventy-one, and I went to the Berkeley School in Boston uh, for one a couple of semesters. And I went down and saw him at uh, the Jazz Workshop, which was the jazz club down there. And I heard his records, but he plays so much better at live than he ever did on a record yet that I'd ever heard. And, and I went up to him and said, "Hey, George, uh, did you, you know, I'm a guitar player. Just started going to Berkeley. Just wanted to tell you, you know, you were amazing. Totally blew my mind." And he goes, "Oh yeah, you're a guitar player. Come on backstage and play my guitar." That was the first thing he said, and uh, and so I did. And he was he was really friendly to me. And actually, I, I you know we you know we uh, I, I actually uh, 
when he came to San Francisco after that, after I went back to San Francisco, I, I took him to uh, my friend Dave Kramer's house. I don't know if you heard of Dave Kramer, but I, but I, he was this amazing experimental guitar player. And Miles and George called Miles Davis and got my, Dave to gig with Miles to go play on the On the Corner record. That was in 1970, 71, later in 71. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, I love, I love that. I had it expanded on the corner set. <clears throat> amazing collection. But I saw uh, Benson the weekend L weekend in L.A. I was at that show at the Roxy. It was at the Roxy, yeah, small place. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite venues uh, back in the day. <clears throat> saw so many great people. The Roxy. Right the Hollywood Bowl these days, or the Palladium, or something. The Roxy's just a little place, right? Yeah, three to five hundred seater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and he said he was recording it live for an album, so you know I screamed my head off and was trying to hear myself on the recording, but <laughs> kind of gets lost in the mix, huh? Yeah. And kind of when on Broadway took off, like it did, I think that kind of cemented him moving away from the guitar a bit, but. Well, he's a great singer, you know, I mean, I mean, I like to sing too, you know, I mean, I, I've never had a hit like George, but you know, I mean, you know, we've got some good stuff, man. On the records that I we did, it, I did an all vocal record with my band uh, in, in Germany. Did you see any of that stuff? It's yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, we've got some new, some new material too that we're going to do. Uh, hopefully, hopefully later. I know it's probably too late this year, but maybe next year we're going to do another record with BBFC and the Horn Band. And yeah, I've got a bunch of new material too, a bunch of new and different stuff that I've been writing the last couple of years. So I'm hoping to do some new projects. You know. But these days, these days you have to figure out how much music you can afford to make, because you know you're never going to make your money back. You know, so if you're going to budget ten grand to do a record, you have to know that's ten grand you can afford to just lose. You know, so it's a little. What are you doing in terms of uh, you know distribution? You know, are you pressing hard copies still? Or are you just streaming, downloading? What? Um, uh, well, you know, the place to sell hard copies is at gigs. So if you have enough gigs. You know, the last gig I did with BBFC was in Germany. It's like three years ago already. Uh, but uh, we played for like 4,500 people. And I sold like 500 CDs. No, not 500. I sold a little over 100 CDs, so a little over 1,000 bucks, you know. But so so you can, you can actually make some money if you're playing some decent-sized shows. People will show up for those autographed CDs afterwards. But, it, but that's the only place you're going to sell them, you know. You're not going to sell any online anymore, or or or, or, or you know, there's record stores are almost a thing of the past, right? You know. Yeah, I mean, I guess possibly <clears throat> if someone's following you and you have them available on your website, maybe you'll sell a few. But yeah, I mean, I I have I still have I've learned from experience that a, a thousand independently produced and uh, manufactured CDs make a coffee table. That's learning the hard way. <clears throat> well, they're so cheap to make now. It's almost it's, it's, it makes sense not not it makes sense to to, to have them. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, if I, I can get a thousand CDs in jackets, which I I, I like prefer the jackets because they're a lot easier to carry. Um, uh, you get the, you know it only costs you a buck and a quarter a CD. So then if you sell them, even you sell them, you can sell them for ten bucks. You can sell them for seven bucks. It's five bucks even. You'll still make money. You know, so. So tell us about your encounter and experience with Miles Davis. Well, uh, I was introduced to him by Julie Coriel. That was Larry Coriel's wife. She was kind of a 
you know, social butterfly around town and she, she introduced me and then, uh, you know, and uh, I spent the weekend up at her place with she had with Larry up in uh, in Connecticut, and Miles was up there, and uh, we sort of got to know each other. I had this the, the guitar organizer that I played with the Brecker Brothers band, uh, and I brought that up there, and he was impressed, and we we made this little tape. It was amazing, and uh, and uh, and then afterwards on the way back, you know, I drove him back to the city. He said, "Let's get a band." And I was like, "Fuck yeah, let's yeah, yeah, let's." But he would be he was in some health problems at that time, so. I didn't get a call from him until like two years after that in 1981. And uh, so we did that, you know, they wanted to do some stuff. We did that man with the horn sessions, uh, you know. Um, and I just wish, I all I can say is I wish I had done more. Because, you know, we were going to do that song. We were going to do the song that we came up with at Larry and Julie's place. And I had made a little version of it. And we rented a special ARP Odyssey synthesizer to sort of duplicate the sound. And... Uh, you know, I wish I had done more with him because the stuff got the stuff got weird, you know. And I don't want to really air a lot of dirty laundry here, but you know, it was, it was I kind of got stabbed in the back on that gig, honestly. You know, you know, you can re- if you, if you want to read the whole story, it's in my book. You know, I don't really like to dwell on it because it's it's like more than it's like thirty years ago already, almost. You know, but uh, you know, I should have done more with him. I should have been with him for here for a few years, and then I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today. But that's the way it goes, you know. Did uh, <clears throat> did anyone seem to feel comfortable around Miles? Uh, yeah, you know he was a pretty funny guy in a lot of ways. You know he would fuck with you. He 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 would fuck with people because he was Miles because he liked to see how much shit he could get away with, and then he'd respect you more if you didn't let him get away with it. You know, but he was a funny guy though. You know he was really he, he could be he was generous. Uh, he paid really well. He cooked dinner for the band over to his house. You know he cracked people up a lot. You know. I mean, he was a very funny guy, you know, he just, you know, but, yeah, but complicated. I mean, he's a complicated dude, you know. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I think some people are comfortable around him. I think Marcus was pretty comfortable around him, you know. Uh, you know, Marcus just got got right away that he was just like to goof on people, you know. You know, but, uh, I mean... I really don't know what to say. I mean, I mean, it was some weird shit went down. Is all I can say. I wish I wish I, I you can you can read the story in my in my in my book, or I could send I could send you the chapters that are that are relevant if you want to. I tell the whole story in really in, really, uh, in detail, whatever actually what went down at those sessions, and uh, you know, I just wish it had been different because I would have loved to tour with them. I would have loved to do the stuff that I thought I was destined to do with them, but. Didn't work out. And Mike Stern, Mike Stern was brought in uh, without, without even so much as saying anything to me. Uh, uh, you know, I was waiting for to hear about when the next session was going to be. And uh, so, whatever. Well, that's unfortunate. But, but at, least, at least I'm out. At least I'm on the record. That's what people know me from a lot. You know, but I didn't. I didn't take a solo on that record. I didn't get. You know, I didn't do a tenth of what I was capable of doing, you know. And that's just the way it goes, you know. I didn't think that was going to happen, but that's the way it happened. And then from from that point, did you play with any other big names or did you kind of start uh, going towards your own thing at that point? Uh, well, you know, uh, Miles was in 81, so I still had a few years left with the Crusaders and then the Brecker Brothers were still doing things occasionally, you know. And... and uh, 
but then when they, then when the Crusaders decided to to uh, you know to just move 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 elsewhere, then uh, you know I had I had kind of some lean years in New York, and then finally I moved back uh, back here in '98. You know, I, I did things here and there, but you know I had some you know I had some bad years. Can I tell you? But I'm glad I'm still here anyway. You started developing an audience overseas, which we talked about a little bit um, early on. Um, how, how did that start, and how did it gain momentum? Uh, well, you know, just just because a certain number of people do know me from the stuff with the Breckers and Crusaders and Miles and so forth, you know. But you know, I'm still not bankable. You know, I'm still not considered bankable. It's really it's been really been a struggle for me to just get an agent that wants to book me. You know. And I've got great material. I've got great stuff, you know. But, you know, I mean, I don't – I mean, I, what Mike Stern does, for example, of course, he's a name already. But, I mean, he always he always gets a name drummer, name bass player, name horn player to go out. And so so it's like an all-star band. But he's been playing the same damn material for 10 years. Every time you go hear him, he's playing the same 10 tunes, you know, for 10 years. And, like, I like to keep changing stuff and been doing different stuff. And I like having – People that are rehearsed and play and, and don't just come come together for like one one gig in one rehearsal and hit. I prefer having a more organic thing. So you know, right now I've got a, I've got a nice new band in Genoa, Italy. You know that I'm that I'm working with. Rhythm section's really good, and uh, you know I've got the band in Germany that I hope to do some more stuff with. It's just that everything costs money. You know, and I've got a limited amount of cash, and I can't really afford to bankroll everything. You know. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff you sent me, I was very impressed with. I mean, just the um, songwriting, the execution, some of the, the visuals and the videos. Very nice. Did you, did you listen to the stuff on the SoundCloud page? Yeah, the, the links you sent me. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff, and I've, I've got a lot a lot more stuff, you know, you know than, because I've got this rehearsal band we meet almost every week here in the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, I was trying to write a tune a week for a while, you know, and so I wrote – I don't know, 30 or 40 things in the past couple of years. Um, they're not all good, but there's, I've got, I've got enough stuff for at least two or three more records. So did you naturally gravitate towards, uh, mostly a, a kind of, uh, rock blues, little big band flavor here and there kind of vibe or how did that develop? You know, my trouble is I like to do all kinds of different stuff. You know, I mean, uh, I like to do, I, I like to sing and I also like to play, not straight ahead, but I like to play like sort of a, you know, what, what I would call contemporary jazz. It's got a little bit of fusion in it, but I don't like f the word fusion because fusion implies you're showing off chops all the time. I prefer to show off music, you know. I prefer to be melodic melody and harmony and, and themes and so forth, you know. Um, so, I mean, um, I like to do a variety of stuff. In fact, we've got a new project that we're a little bit excited about. Me and my wife have written these songs over the last 10 years. We've been collecting them. And it's a completely different thing. We're not even going to put our names on it. It's called Sex Songs for Idiots. It's really some hilarious stuff. You know, we've got like 27 really short, stupid songs and uh, all different styles. And I'm, we brought in a few extra singers, but I'm singing on a lot of it. And it's just, um, it's, 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 I think it really has a chance to do something, especially if we can get some publicity. We're going to try to get it on the Howard Stern show. That's, that's, that's our goal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really not jazzy at all. There's nothing jazzy about it. We've got, we got some country and Western. We've got opera. We've got pop. I'm doing a takeoff on a Frank Sinatra, uh, New York, New York, except it's your something or something, which I can't say on the air. Uh, uh, it's some pretty funny stuff, I have to tell you. But uh, so, 
you know, that's I, I think we have a better chance selling stuff that would make people laugh than trying to sell something of musical depth and uh, and uh, and subtlety. You know, no nobody's got time for musical depth and subtlety anymore. It's it's a very marginal uh, audience. Uh, you know, it's a, a, like like a star quote that Branford Marsalis said the other day. I thought it made a lot of sense. He said, he said "Don't don't be doing some unpopular shit and then get pissed off because it's not popular." Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, playing jazz, quote unquote, anywhere you cut it, man, it's just not a popular style of music. It's not what most people are going to prefer. It's a niche audience. It's not for everybody. Yeah. And the people that dig it might know you all over the world. You know, I can walk into a jazz club in anywhere in the world and they'll know who I am. But that doesn't translate into uh, getting a booking that'll fly me in a band over there or even fly me over there and to, 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 to play with the house rhythm section. It just doesn't translate into that, you know? So, I mean, that's why I'm putting myself over in Europe is because, uh, you know, I have a better chance of uh, you know, having some people that know appreciate what I do than, than over here. It's like nothing, you know, that nothing in Oakland, California right now. So. Well, also, I mean, it seems like they've closed so many of the uh, venues too, that, you know, used to be able to showcase at least, live a lot of that well here in oakland we have yoshi's you know which is the one jazz club but it's not really a jazz club anymore they got hip-hop they got comedians they got all kinds of stuff they had to do that to make money and then they had a yoshi san francisco which closed now and the only big player in, in san francisco is sf jazz which is like the san francisco version of jazz at lincoln center it's publicly subsidized members member sponsored uh jazz and they have some good acts, but they have never given me a chance to play with my own band, not even once, you know? And I know the guy that runs it. I know the top guy. And the same thing with the Monterey Festival. They just don't give me the time of day. So, I mean, you know, I've got the music. It's it's sitting right here, you know? And I'm capable of putting on a really high-quality thing. But if they're not going to give me the chance to do it, what am I supposed to do, you know? Same old sour grapes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a printout of your discography here, and um, you've put out, what, about 10 albums or something with all of your... Something like that. I could have done a lot more. It's just a matter of I think, a matter of finance, you know? Yeah. I did my last two records, The Blues for Train and The Manhattan Sessions. We recorded in 2008, so it's 11 years ago already, in New York with, uh, with uh, Randy Brecker and Victor Bailey. Great records. They came off great. Uh, but I, I was only able to do that because my mom lent me ten grand, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and uh, you know, and, and then and then the, the the record with BBFC that came out in 2014. So it's been it's been five years since I put out anything, and uh, I'm getting ready to put out some new stuff because you know I've got a bunch of new material. I just have to figure a way to do it economically, you know, and get it done because every you know you just have to like I said you have to figure out how much music can I afford to make. You know, how much music can I afford to put out there without the guarantee of having any of it come back? Any of it, you know? It's a pretty daunting situation, you know? And I don't like to go crowdfunding or anything like that, you know? What, what would you, you know, having been through all that and knowing what you know, what would your advice be for someone just coming up today? Don't expect to make any money. <laughs> Do it because you love it and that's it. Figure out another way to pay your bills. Because... You know, I mean, I don't even, we can't imagine how young cats go to New York these days and try to make it there, but they do. They do, and some of them make it, whatever making it means, you know. There's no long-term security in this business anymore, not even close, 
you know. I mean, I've worked a lot of stuff. I've, we've done a lot of different things in music. I've done Broadway shows. I've done, uh, you know, tuxedo club dates. I supported myself for like nine or ten years in New York, just mostly doing that. You know, as the lead singer for a tuxedo society band. You know, and hating every minute of it. You know, because I, I thought I was an artist, and here I am just being a musical hack that comes and plays four hours of continuous music for drunk rich people. You know, it's not. You know, I mean. If you, there's there's a, there's room at the top for the very top of the food chain, you know, the Pat Metheny's, John Schofield's, you know, the Herbie Hancock's, you know, uh, Wynton Marsalis's, you know, but everybody else is scrambling for crumbs, man, you know, you know, you know what the modern equivalent of a recording contract is? A, a teaching gig. But I'm still, yeah. I still got some good music, and I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it down, and uh, you know, maybe some people will like it. I'm sure that some people will like it. Well, no doubt if they're exposed to it, you know, that's part in of Europe, the, the. If I'm in Europe, part. I have a better shot of getting picked up, you know, by an agent or some kind of festival things or something, because but because here there's absolutely no chance. There's just no chance. Looking back, Barry. Um, is there one person or a couple people you would say uh, had the biggest influence on you musically? Uh, well, I could say John Coltrane, Miles Davis, you know. I could say uh, Dave Kramer, a guitar player that showed me a lot when I was coming up. Uh, the guy that I told you about that I got the gig on the, on the corner with Miles. Um, I could say uh, just a lot of people that I grew up with that influenced me in one way or another, you know. Um, you know, I I have a lot of different influences. I listen to all different instruments, and I'm not really, like, other than George Benson, Jeff Beck, I'm really not that influenced by guitar players, particularly guitar players my own age, you know. Um, you know, I just... Uh, I'm influenced by classical composers, Bartok, and, you know, Tchaikovsky and Beethoven. And, uh, you know, there's just, it's just a world of music. You can pick whatever influences you want out of it, you know? What about um, a really unforgettable memory from the road, uh, whether it was good or bad? What stands out? Let's see. Well, there was this chick in Amsterdam one time. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, let me think. Well, you know, um, God, there's so many. I mean, uh, playing with BB King, I guess, was 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 a highlight. Uh, my first my first time at um, in going to Europe, playing at the Montreux Jazz Festival on the same bill as Miles with Chico Hamilton when I was 21. I don't know. Was that your first time overseas? Uh, not overseas, but it was my first time in Europe. Right, you had been in Hong Kong. Yeah, of course. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of great times, you know. I remember I remember being with the Crusaders. We were playing in San Diego, and we were playing at some, at some outdoor venue. And uh, I was playing a solo, and all of a sudden I looked up, and people were standing and applauding. I was so into it, I didn't even notice, you know, that they were giving me a standing ovation in the middle of the solo. I said, wow, that was something. And next night we played in San Francisco. My hometown. My mom was there, and a lot of friends and family were there. Friend, not family, but a lot of friends were there, and they didn't give me a solo the whole night. Ugh. That was kind of petty shit went down with that band. 
because you know, they, they didn't like me getting any attention. I, I always, I, I never felt like that. You know, there's a lot of bands. The Crusaders weren't that much, so much like that. But there's a lot of band leaders that they don't like anybody to get more applause than them. They don't want anybody on the bandstand playing better than them. And I don't feel that way. I want somebody to play better than me if they can. You know, I want guys that'll just tear it up. You know, that makes me look better. You know, but a lot of people don't feel that way. Um, was there ever like a mishap uh, from the road that stands out? Uh, mishap? I can't really. Nah, I don't want to get personal. <laughs> too personal. I think I've already gotten too personal. No, I mean like maybe your your guitar didn't show up, or I don't know. Um, I can't really. I can't really think of my guitar not showing up. Um, one time Yamaha gave me this guitar. Uh, one of the image customs that I'm playing now, except it's not the same one because I put it in the Brecker Brothers. Uh, they, 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 I was over there with the Breckers and they put it in the truck. And when it got to the next place, it, it, I opened the case and it, the thing had broken in half inside the case. And I, I had to explain to Yamaha this guitar they just gave me, you know. Uh, I, I, so I swear I didn't drop it. I didn't. It sounds like that uh, case a couple of years ago where the guy's guitar by United Airlines was broken in half. And yeah, that shit yeah. happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tried. Now, now I'm leaving two guitars in Europe, so I can, so I don't have to worry about flying the thing. It's really a luxury to not have to worry about what they're going to tell you with your guitar when you get on a flight. You know. So, uh, anyone else of note that we haven't covered, Barry, that you've got the pleasure of playing with? Um, well, I'm, I'm happy to still that Randy Brecker still calls me for a few things here, you know. I mean, you know, we got a gig in Camden, New Jersey on August 19th. I'm looking forward to. I wish there were more gigs, but Randy's like always out there working with somebody, you know. He's got so many sidemen gigs, and it's, it's much more of a hassle to be the band leader than it is to just show up as, and leave your horn and collect your money, you know. Um, I'm just hoping that, you know, that that some things are going to come start coming my way again, you know, as far as offers and invitations to play different places. I got people in Poland. We're talking about doing some stuff in France in Spain and in, in Italy too, of course, but I've got a couple of things set up in Italy. I'm going to, I'm going to Ghana in this, uh, the end of uh, October to play with these great guys, the Ghana jazz collective, you know, uh, that should be fun. Have but, you ever been to that part of the world? Uh, we, I played there once there before. Yeah. They're great. You know, Ghana is kind of a third world country, but there's some great stuff there, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm just uh, trying to keep it together, put some new stuff together. Well, of course, I wish you all the luck in the world. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to share all this with uh, Truth and Rhythm. And I want to make sure that you also share, you know, where people can find those books and, and your music and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, you can find that the book is called Start. So it's a semi-autobiographical memoir. It's on Amazon, but uh, and uh, and it's just it's, it's, it's subtitled uh, Start Caution. I'm sorry, warning contains uh, sex, jazz, uh, drugs, and reality. And uh, it, it, there's also an audiobook version, which is awesome. It's got sound effects and original songs in it, and. Uh, I'm pretty proud of it. I mean, we spent way more money than I should have producing it, but it's uh, but it's pretty good piece of work. And uh, and we're gonna try, one of my projects, I'm going to try to is, is going to try to develop it into a screenplay. 
and see if I can get some action on that somehow. Although my political chops are, are way beneath my musical chops. And then, uh, you know, there's stuff on SoundCloud they can hear. There's a bunch of videos on, on YouTube if they care to look. Um, my band BBFC has got that record out. It's a great record. Uh, you know, and I'm hoping to do some new stuff. That's all I can say. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, Barry, best of luck. Good luck with the move. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And I hope some people. I hope some people look at this and and get curious. You can find the you can barryfinnerty.com. I mean soundcloud.com uh, slash barry-finnerty is the SoundCloud page. You can listen to a bunch of stuff for free there for my latest uh, stuff and uh, and the book. Check out the book. There's an ebook too. You can you download it and read it on your iPad. And of course, also the uh, method books too. Yeah, the method books. Yeah, they keep selling. We've sold over ten thousand of those. So that's pretty good over the years. Of course, the first one came out in 05. So it's like, God, 14 years ago. Already. But they're out there. All right. Thank okay. you. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Scott. We'll talk to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the FunkinStuff.net website. And on the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.